Well, I briefly want to take the privilege of introducing our speaker without name, who he or she might be, by just giving you some quotes that you may have heard from this person. Don't be like the rooster taking credit for the sunrise. Do you remember that one? A few of you do. There's only three voices in life, God, the devil, and yourself. Do you remember that one? Think about it. How about the sky is blue? I know that's way over your head. I see. <laughs> okay, how about the path to authority is never straight? Getting closer to thinking who it might be? How about desperation leads to revelation? Remember that one? How about seven steps to authority? How about don't confuse effort with results? Remember that one? How about quitting is a bad habit, so don't quit? How about people aren't projects? This speaker has shared all that with us in different ways at different times. And I've got more here that I could share, but I don't want to take any more of his time. Matt, come on up. This is some good quotes. <laughs> Dang, I was like looking around like, who, who's coming up here? Uh, well, is that up and running? Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Huh? Okay, I'm going to move that out of the way. Um, all right, so this morning, um, we're going to continue on a theme that my dad laid out a couple weeks ago um, about mercy. Um, I just thought that was a cool image. That's by the street artist Banksy, for all you cultural <laughs> adept people. But that's, I just thought that's kind of where we want to go. Is it's you know there's a lot of, a lot of anger in that young man's eyes and wanting to do something. He's got a bouquet of flowers. So, um, well, let's get started. Um, I, I do uh, want to start by just saying thanks for, thanks for letting me talk again. It was a spoiler alert that it was in the bulletin that I was speaking. But the, um, but it is really an honor. Um, I always remember my dad saying, "You'll never really have a, a greater honor or responsibility than representing God to other people in this format." So, I do take it serious. I am doing. I mean, because I do speak probably four or five times a year here. Um, not here. This is the only place I speak. They're <laughs> 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 a real strict, strict contract here. I can't speak anywhere else. It's exclusive. It paid more, but it was exclusive. But um, but yeah. So here, when I speak four four or five times here, so I haven't done a PowerPoint in a while. So we'll see how this goes. Usually, I write out my whole thing, just like uh, you know. I'm still waiting for the teleprompter. That's one of my bucket list items that will actually have a teleprompter. I just want to see what that feels like. So John, maybe you and I can we can work on that. I'll just be like looking at it, going like this. But let's go to the next uh, next slide. The um, I want to start by defining mercy, um, and this was out of Webster's um, dictionary, but it's compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one's subject, to one's power. Timothy Keller writes uh, that mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to do something to merit it, then it's not mercy. It's really important that we understand some of these basics as I go into this because 
mercy is not like it's not cheap when it's almost like the person doesn't really need it. That's not mercy. So if 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 you don't, you know, to me, like getting out of a a ticket, a speeding ticket, is mercy, because very clearly, not getting out of it, but I never get out of speeding tickets, but. It's my presentation, I think. But the, uh, but the fact that the police, and that on occasion, the one time in my life where he said, you know what, I'm not going to give you a ticket, um, that was mercy. But it's different if I don't really need it, right? If I didn't really do anything wrong, if I wasn't really breaking the law or going too fast, and someone says, oh, I'll give you mercy. It just it doesn't mean the same. So when we talk about this this morning, understand that it's, Mercy is if the wrongdoer has to do something to merit it, then it's not mercy. It just must be free. And there's words that like surround mercy, like forgiveness, um, grace. Um, and there's a lot of scriptures that talk about um, if you give mercy, God will give you mercy, much like forgiveness. And so I don't, you know, it's interesting as we talk about this, but. And I'm going to try to lay this out, but I don't think some people here even think they need mercy. It's just like, that's a neat word. Like, I don't, know what that, I don't know what that is. You want mercy sometimes from like a financial person. Right? Like if you owe somebody money and there's a deadline, you need mercy. And there's nothing more frustrating when you talk to like a bureau, when you get in a bureaucratic scenario when you need mercy like you can't I'm so like already off my first PowerPoint this is not even working <laughs> let's go to the next one just so I can try to stay on but the if you if you don't need mercy if you don't believe you need mercy like none of this is going to make sense in fact you'll probably never have a relationship with Jesus because you don't really need him you don't think you do but so we have to get to a place that we actually understand like our role in the universe. <laughs> I, I don't know why that, I don't know why every, I feel like every time I talk, I always say, maybe I'm talking to myself, but I, I, you have to remind yourself of who's God and who's not God. Like, so turn to the person next to you say, and say, I'm not God. All right, we got, some of you are surprised. But like, well, let's just start at that. Can we understand that we are, like I wrote here, you did not create yourself. You did not ask to be born. You are not in charge. You're not the boss of me. I wanted to write that, but let's, can we just all agree on that? We're not in charge. You didn't ask to be born. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the world, words of his law. God knows the end from the beginning. God knows you, and God knows you need mercy. So whether you believe you need mercy or not, God knows you need mercy. All right. Let's go to what the Bible says about mercy. Um, the Hebrew is hesed, and that's like God's covenant of loving kindness. And then the Greek is elios, which means compassion. Um, and it's interesting to think about 
uh, and I was like, as I was studying this, um, the English word mercy, it's sort of, it's really like floats amongst a lot of other words that are in Hebrew, Greek, and in English. It's hard, actually the word, it's one, to me it's one of those few words that in English it makes more sense, um, you know, as you study it, but his covenant, going back to the Hebrew part, hesed, but his covenant with his people is a sign of his mercy. It's, mercy is intrinsic to God's nature. And it's seen as a quality of God that forges us into a relationship with Him. So, we're not God. He is God. There's nothing required of Him to be in relationship with us. Because He's God. He can do whatever He wants. But in His mercy, and we'll talk about it, is Jesus. Is what forges Him into relationship with us. But do you understand that even as we're talking this morning, and if you're sitting here, that's a form of God's mercy. There's, there's people that have never heard these words before. Um, in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 1 Peter 1, Praise be to God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ and His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurre resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Matthew Henry writes, he's a commentator, biblical commentator, that he writes that we come to Jesus with a humble freedom. Have you ever, you know, you ever been in... I'll say this about my kids. Is any of my kids in here? Are, are any of my kids in here? That's the correct grammar, no? All right, good. You talk, talk about them. <laughs> this is years of payback for, you know, I've been trained thoroughly in this process of talking about your kids from up here. No. Um, <laughs> my dad goes, it worked. Somehow that was a compliment to me. Thank you. Um, but, you know, oftentimes when I'm, you know, with the kids, there's that fine line between you're having fun, you're joking, and we're not real, I don't think we're, I think we're pretty, I don't know, I don't want to say loose parenting, that sounds, we don't really have a big strategy when it comes to like, here's this and that kind of thing. And so on occasion, um, the, one of the kids can become too familiar. Have you ever had that? Where it's like, hey, Dad, you would do this. And then it's all like, hey, bro, or something like that. <laughs> and, and it's like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> like, don't, don't ever forget that I'm your dad. I'm not your friend. I'm your dad. And we can be friendly and we can be in relationship because that's what I want. But don't ever cross that line of familiarity with your, for me, with, with me, but also when we talk about God the Father. So when we talk about our Jesus, that when we come with a humble freedom, that's not arrogance saying we can do whatever we want. That's like calling dad bro. You know, he didn't like that. Like two consistent things you'll find in the Bible is about God is that he is, he's, his justice and his love, right? So 
there's a line where, you know, he'll cross, and if you read any of the Old Testament, it'll just like open up the earth and swallow a bunch of people. <laughs> so if you're ever feeling like into that bro range, like, hey, God, it's cool, just help me, um, just remember that. He'll just open up the earth and just, you're gone. <laughs> just like that. His mercy comes in, obviously, and that's where we, that's where we approach him. But it's humble freedom. It is freedom. And the reason it's freedom is because of what he's done. It has nothing to do with what you've done. You have to start and be in right relationship to who he is for this to work. If you start tipping that scale in terms of you feeling really good about yourself and approaching him that way, you're going to be dealing more with his justice. And so you humbly and freely approach him, but because of what he did. He sent his son as an act of mercy so that you and I wouldn't go to hell. And that's the reason we can humbly and freely approach him. It's not because you were intellectual or you were spiritual or you were on a a journey of discovery or you read that book that Oprah recommended. Um... Understand that he's been courting you since the day before the foundations of the earth. He, has, he knew you before the foundations of the earth. He created you specific, specifically for this time and place. And he's courting you. He's drawing you. But don't ever take credit for that. That's him. He's a gentleman. He'll never force you into it. But understand that it's him drawing you in and that you can confidently approach him because of what he has done. I've said it before, you know, for you, don't, for, for you all that don't know, I'm a landscape consultant. That's pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> I've been watching like, uh, <laughs> I've been watching The Office again. I'm not recommending it if you think it's a bad show, but it's a pretty good show. So... <laughs> Anyway, like I'll see the main character, Michael. <laughs> it's funny, he'll do stuff, and I'm like, oh no, that's kind of like something I would do. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why I just brought that up, but the, uh, there was a reason for it. Oh, the, the fact that I'm a landscape consultant. Like, I don't know that God, you know, before the foundations of the earth said, you know what I need? You know what I'm going to need in 2008 through whatever? I'm going to need a landscape consultant. I need to form someone to make sure that these contractors are doing their job. Like maybe he did, but I've never felt like what I'm doing, my profession, or is what I'm called to be. I'm called to be a follower of him. It just turns out that I hold contractors accountable, right? I, I love what I do. I'm passionate about it, but it's, I don't identify with it. Anything I've ever done in my whole life, it seems like a chapter to me. It's never the whole book, if that makes sense. It's not, and so you can, it can kind of borderline passion, you know. I'm not anti-passion at all. Um, but sometimes we look for so much identity in our job, and then I think we question God as to, you know, we're really questioning Him when all He's doing is, is calling you to do whatever He's calling you to do. I was talking to someone recently, and they, they said, uh, I feel like I'm at a stop sign, and I'm just like, I need 
God to throw me a bone and tell me to go left or to go right. And this person was like really asking. And, you know, my response, because I'm so delicate and sensitive, like Heather will tell you, was, why does God need to throw you a bone? He owes you nothing. Do you understand? You're making a demand of God who created the universe, the heaven, the stars, knew you before all these different things. And you're saying like an ultimatum. That's when you get into the, hey, bro, hey, dad, like, no. And that's where, that's where he will reassure you that you're not in charge. <laughs> I, said, I said to this person, maybe God wants you to hang out at that stop sign forever. I don't know. But I do know I think it's good that you're asking, but be careful. You, he doesn't owe you anything. Don't demand anything of, of God that way. In James 2, 12, and 13, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm so glad that's true. Because I know I need mercy. All right. So let's get into uh, the next slide here. We're going to talk about Job. Um, I'm doing the whole, like, you know, read the Bible in a year. So I've just read Job. That's partly why I'm talking about this. Turns out Heather reminded me that women are doing a Bible study on Job. So it's not Job. Although when you type it out, it looks like Job. <laughs> job. Rich and wise. Good job description. But um, I think it's important when we talk about Job, he was around a long time ago. Um, and he was really, really rich. Like really rich. Like probably the richest person that ever lived up until that point. Um, and he was really, really wise. Like very wise. He was very blessed. Um, he had 10 kids. Uh, some of the Matthew Henry, again, the research, you know, I wrote down there, he had 3,000 camels, he had like 500 sheep, um, hundreds of servants. I mean, he was, the note I wrote down was, he was so rich and wise that he would be seen as too big to fail. You know, they talk about companies, there's no way, they're too big to fail. You, American Airlines is never going out of business, you know, what would we do? They're too big to fail. And at that time, there was no way Job would wash out. He's just got it going on. Like he's, everything's, everything's working for him. And he was just minding his own business. And Satan, we can read a little bit of this. If you want to go to, uh, uh, if you have a Bible or a phone, or you could probably put it up there. Um, let's see. All right. So Job 1. You know, one thing that's important about reading Job is make sure you finish the whole book. It's like one of those books, if you stop, half, if you stop halfway through, you're like, dang, <laughs> I want to be nothing like Job. Um, there's other books that you do kind of want to stop halfway. <laughs> um, but let's just maybe read a few of these things. Um, Let's go to verse 6. So one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. I don't pretend to understand any of this. Okay, so I'm not going to try to explain it. Um, don't try to make sense of it. 
You know, when I, the scripture I read before that some things are hidden? These are things that are hidden. And unless they're revealed to you or I, we'd never understand them. But the angels come to him, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Who sounds like they're in a position of authority there? When, he, when God says, as Satan approaches him, and he goes, where did you come from? It sounds like he's in charge, doesn't it? Satan says, from roaming the earth, through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. I have no idea why God offered Job up. Like, I don't understand it at all. But he did. Have you considered? So Satan's roaming the earth back and forth, looking to start trouble. That's what he does. He really wants to kill all of us. We should know that too. So he's looking to hurt people. And he approaches God, however that works, and says he's been roaming the earth. And then, and then God says, have you uh, considered Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? So does that mean that God can put a hedge around you and everything you have so Satan can't touch you? Isn't that implied there? You have, been, you have blessed the work of his hands. Is it possible that God can bless the work of your hands? so that his flocks and his herds spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. This is Satan talking. And he will surely curse to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has in your hands, but, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Who's in charge? God. Then Satan went out from his presence to the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sebans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came. The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down all your camels and carried them off. They put the, ser the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at your older brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground in worship. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Why in the world would God allow this to happen? I remember a couple years ago, Susan spoke about it. Mike spoke about it. There's so much, um, you could read and study your whole life into why God allows certain things. And you're never going to get the right answer. What you need to focus on was the what, right? Remember this? 
It's not the why. Why does God allow these bad things to happen? It's what. What is He doing in the midst of this? What is He doing to allow Satan to come in through His hedge of protection? God, what are You after? What are You after in me? His sons and daughters were carried off and killed during a feast. Camels, 3,000 of them carried off. The servants killed. Fire from the sky killed 7,000 sheep. The other children, total of 10, were killed by the house collapsing. Job, or Job, Job. <laughs> job. We can call him Job. Job was minding his own business. Satan came with his angels, and God allowed Satan to attack everything Job, but commands him not to lay a finger on him. After this, in Job 3, he opened his mouth and he cursed the day he was born. You always have to make a transition in your mind to understand that these are real people. These are not fictional Bible stories. I mean, can you imagine if you're standing there, you know, in good standing with the Lord and, and you're honest and you're doing all these great things and someone walks in and goes, you're not going to believe this, but your sons and daughters were killed. Oh, and by the way, a fireball from heaven came down and killed 7,000 sheep. Oh, and then, the, and I mean, right after each other. Oh, and then, uh, hey, by the way, once he's done, I'll tell you. Okay, good. Yeah, all your camels are gone. What? I mean, there's no, there's no why to it. What is God doing? So Job opens his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth in Job 3.1. In Isaiah 55.8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He had three buddies, Job. Eliphaz the Temanite, which always looks like termite when I see it. Um, Eliphaz the Temanite. All this is going sideways. You're, okay, Job's a real person. Think of you as a real person. Upstanding, all these great things happening, all these people walk in. And your friends, your three buddies, they want to give you good advice. And I, that's natural. That's what would happen. If all this was, going, it was happening to you, there's no question some of your friends would say, what are you doing that we don't know? Because God's obviously punishing you. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, says, call if you will, but who will answer you? That's what he says to, to Job. Bildad, his other buddy, Bildad, he probably called him Bill, I would think. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. So he's like, look, Job, I get it. Your kids are a problem. They always were a problem, so God dealt with them. And if you read the very first part of Job, it said that Job would have these um, like family parties, and then after he would do a burnt offering, just in case his kids sinned against God which I think is because they were probably sinning against God. Like as a parent, why would you go out and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry about my kids. So his friend Bill, Bill Dad's like putting two and two together and saying, look, I've been at these parties. These kids were, these kids were a problem. This isn't about you, Job. This is, 
So again, he's not dealing, he's, they're redirecting him away from the what. Zophar, his last friend, he said, You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I'm pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you. Okay. So Eliphaz is, Eliphaz is rationalizing. Bildad is telling him, he's giving him a why. She had bad kids. Um, and then Zophar is just like done. He's like the pragmatic one. Like, look, I wish God would just open his mouth and say, you're the problem. That's what's going on. We can go back to the slides. Um, so the next one, we want to skip ahead to chapter 38. And like I said, it is important that you read the whole. I want to see if I made this one note. If not, I'm going to say it. Um, I was going to say something about later, later on in, in, in Job 3. His wife, you know, tells him to curse God and die. And I think his wife is probably practical too. Like, look what's happening. This cannot be a good God. She's dealing with the why. God, a good God would never do this. Job constantly circles back and repositions to the what. Now, he said he wished he would never born. He was never born. He shaved his head. He cursed the earth. Like, he was... He had boils. Yeah, his skin was covered in boils. I mean, it was really, really, really brutal. But in chapter 38, I love the way that God speaks to Job. Because Job's questioning, if you read the whole thing, he's, he's questioning everything. Kind of like, you said, you, you, knew, you promised. You, I mean, he's really, he's really... Challenging God in a good way because it got God's attention. He did it in an honoring way, but he's challenging him. And then in chapter 38, verse 3, God's, he opens his mouth out of the storm. And he said, brace yourself like a man. I think, I mean, I, like, that's speaking pretty specific to a guy who was the man on planet earth at that point. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Who's in charge? He goes through these amazing list of questions like, have you given orders to the morning? Like, hey, sun, come up. Have you done that? I actually, when you read this, if you're cynical and sarcastic like I am, you can almost hear it, like God's sense of humor in it, but he's also speaking with so much authority. Does the rain have a father, Job? Have you entered the storehouses where I put all the snow? Have you seen that? It's beautiful in the winter. You should see that. <laughs> Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? Does the eagle soar at your command, Job? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? I mean, you get a, you get a glimpse into how big God is. If we go to that next slide. Just imagine lightning bolts. <laughs> Just reporting to God. 
Here we are. Where do you want us to go? When you see that, when you see that happening in nature, you see these big things, it just seems like this process of what's going on in the planet or whatever. But he's talking about that he's given the hawk wisdom. He's commanding lightning bolts where to go. He shores in how far the ocean will. He's not allowing the ocean to go farther. It's not just because of how things work. It's because he's actually commanded nature to behave. God's in charge. And when Satan approaches him and asks for permission, several times, you can do all this, but you can't touch. You can't, don't you dare lay a finger on Job. It's almost like if you know when, you know, when you're in a, I imagine this will be the case, but when you sort of turn your kids over to a coach, and I would say football would be a good example. There's tons of others, but like you're sort of at their mercy, right? Like, yes, you can run them. They need to learn toughness, but there's a line to cross too. If you go over that line, you're not allowed to do that to my kid, right? We would all rise up, but allowing them to struggle a little bit is really healthy. Why? Because that's the what. He's preparing for future things. So the lightning bolts report. Here we are. What now? Where should we go? God, where do you want us to go? And Job replied to the Lord. He's been, he's been brought to a place. When the Lord speaks, and I promise you I'll tie this in. I keep saying mercy up there, so hopefully you're tying it in. I will tie it in to, why it, to how it relates to the theme. But when you get to a place where you understand that you need God, you understand how powerful His mercy is because you start to understand what you actually deserve. And when you understand what you actually deserve, and, you, and He reveals to you that He sent His Son to die on the cross for you, then you get to the what? Chapter 42, Job says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscure my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. I still, I just can't imagine what that would be like to sit there and have God out of the storm start speaking to you saying, were you there? Were you there when I formed you? And Job replied to the Lord in chapter 42, 7 through 11. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite. So, so God's got, there's the justice part, right? God's dealing with Job, but there's those three buddies that are also in the story. And he died for them too. But he's got some business to do because these guys were really redirecting him away from what God was asking him to do. You have a responsibility in a friendship, in a relationship, to not throw out cheap counsel. Don't throw out bad advice just because you're feeling it that day. Understand that if you say and you, you give direction or you're, you're giving what you, would, you know, are feeling is maybe a good idea, understand that, that there's people that take that stuff serious. And God, there's an accountability with the Lord. It's not. You can't just throw things out. So after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you 
and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. This is early in the Bible. This is the time when he swallowed up people. (laughs) God shows mercy. I mean, think of the mercy he just pours out on his three friends. I don't... I don't know why he chose to do that. But he did it through Job, too. I don't know what the impact this had on his three friends. I don't know the impact it had on the kids of his three friends. I don't know it had, what impact it had on the villages they lived and the generations they came after. But I guarantee you, they are telling the story that there was a time where these horrible things were happening to my friend. I spoke against the Lord, I had every right to be killed, and He showed mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shudite, and so far the Nemethite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And Job had prayed for his friends. Job prayed for his friends. I have no idea. I mean, that, whoever's speaking next about this could, could look at that. But I don't, the more, as I was just getting ready for this, I saw how clearly this was for his friends, too. If you read the, like, about, um, you know, Jacob and Esau, and, you, talk, and you, you, you read that in the scriptures, too, you see there's a moment where they come back together, and, and you see where Esau has has dealt with the Lord, and that's, that's like a tangent, but what I want to say is, in the midst of your challenge, the people that are in and around you are being dealt with in a different way, and for, them, for Job to be processed and to be challenged and everything taken away from him, not, not like he lost his job, he lost everything, he lost his, his kids, his riches, he was embarrassed, his wife told him to die, <laughs> it's not a compliment. He had boils. He was disgusting. But Job prayed for his friends, and the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him came before him and ate with him at his house. They comforted and consoled him over the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one of And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. This was thousands and thousands of years ago. And today I'm telling you a story about Job. And I'm telling you about Job in light of God's mercy. And I'm telling you uh, about Job in light of of the what, rather than why. Because you could never explain to any rational person why a good God would allow this stuff to happen. So last slide is, to me, like tenets of sort of the, the, the challenge or the action step for us. Um, I wrote down the note, Nineveh, that's when Jonah, you know, Jonah was sent to Nineveh and he didn't want to go because he didn't like Ninevites. He just didn't like them. There's time, you know, there's times I don't want to show people mercy. I mean, 
good. I'm glad they got what they deserved. You know, there's a little bit of that, right? Like, okay, because it doesn't. Mercy has nothing to do with fairness. I guess is what I want to say. If God's if God's God, He blesses the wicked. He blesses whoever He wants to bless because He's God. He's not about fairness. But I just laughed thinking about like Jonah, you know, not wanting to go. God had Nineveh and all the people living there on his mind and wanting to show his mercy. And Jonah did everything, <laughs> jumping off the boat. And I mean, he just didn't want to go. And I know we can relate to that. But understand that showing mercy is the way that God returns it. So God loves humility. Um, he's happy to make you humble. There's lots of stories in the scriptures that he, he loves you enough to really humble you. So it's easier to just humble yourself. Um, Jesus came for the sick. He didn't come for the healthy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Be merciful. Be generous. Generosity is actually, when we were talking about this theme early, it was generosity is actually a fruit of mercy. I know money is a big issue anywhere because you need money. Like you need money to eat. Nothing wrong with money. I'd love to make a lot of money. Let's just be clear about that. As long as it doesn't rule me, right? But being generous to someone is, is really an activity that shows mercy because it's saying I, that person needs something that they, maybe they can't afford. I'm going to, out of mercy, help them. So be generous. That's a really great way for you to, th- for me, for us to think about, uh, God, all right, show, help me be merciful. Be generous. Have an open hand. Don't worry. It's, it's clear in Job that God allowed everything to happen to Job. God is in control. Don't worry. We can pray. We need to pray and ask God for that hedge of protection and for him to to cover us, and we should. But understand that he is in control. And then finally, ask God for mercy. I mean, all you have to do is go on, on, you know, turn on the news or social media, and with all the things that are at stake right now, and, you know, talking about Nineveh after Jonah talked to the, you know, went and shared what God had him tell him. I think it was everybody in the city fasted. I could, am I right about that? I'm going to, yeah, okay. So the, I, I didn't read it before this, so I want to make sure. <laughs> but the, they put on sackcloth and ashes. And not, it's not like they skipped lunch. Even the, Even the animals didn't eat. They were begging for mercy. Mercy. They, they realized they needed mercy. Our nation needs mercy right now. And if we don't ask for it, and we don't plead for it, God's justice is right around the corner. And so, God loves humility. Jesus came for the sick. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Be merciful. Be generous. Don't worry. Ask for mercy. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for your mercy. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would uh, that you would give us a new sense of what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you, if there's individuals in the room or, or friends and family that we know of, 
that need mercy and don't know it. I pray that we would be sensitive and not give bad counsel like these friends. I pray that we would seek you first and that you would give us the words to say, that we'd be generous with others, that we wouldn't worry and question who's in charge. Or keep that image in our mind about the lightning bolts asking God where they want, where they should go. In your name we pray. Amen.